Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. So we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke. And today we look at uh, some pas- a passage in Luke chapter 4. Three. Anyway. One of the, there's been many hundreds, if not thousands, of different cultures and religions in the history of the world. Most of them last couple of hundred years, perhaps a thousand years, but there's a number of cultures and civilizations that are, are very, very old and which reach back into uh, the thousands of years before, before Christ. So there is the, uh, the Persian uh, culture and religion is one of the oldest cultures and religions in the world. Uh, the Chinese, some aspects of Chinese culture are many thousands of years old, and the Jewish faith, the Jewish faith and culture is amongst one of the oldest cultures still existent in the world today, probably 4,000, 4,500 years old. And one of the distinctive features of Judaistic cult, Judaism religion and the Jewish religion and culture is the role of the prophet. The prophet, there was the three um, um, roles within ancient Israel, the prophet, the priest, and the king. And the prophet was quite unique. Some of the early prophets, uh, like Nathan and Nathaniel, were part of the religious structure or part of the political structure. So you know the story, you might know the story of, of one of the kings of Israel, David, who commits murder and, or commits adultery and then murder, that the prophet is able to walk into the king's room, into the court of the king, had the right of access to come in and to confront the king with his sinfulness. And that was the role of these prophets, to, to sort of be the conscious, the religious conscience of the, of the monarchs of ancient Israel. Over time, the role changed a little bit, though, and the prophets ceased to be as much involved in the, the, the political system as to be outside of it. And their role became to speak, power, or speak truth to power. And prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Amos... Uh, all of their, their writings of the records of their words are recorded in the Old Testament of our Bibles. And these people would speak and declare the word of the Lord to the, not just the king, but also to the people of Israel and, and say to them, you're, you're heading in the wrong direction and, and God is not happy with the way you're going. Uh, repent and turn back to God. And the historians look at the ancient civilization of Judah of Israel that was taken into exile in Babylon about 700 BC and Babylon as the ruling empire there extinguished many many cultures and many many religions because they took people out of their their, their culture and then took them to Babylon and taught them Babylonian language and taught them Babylonian religion and many many cultures were extinguished but the Judaistic culture the, the Jewish culture was not And most historians think it's because of the role of the prophets who were able to say, this is what the Lord says, that you are going into exile because of your unfaithfulness and you're going to be in exile for 70 years and then you'll have the opportunity to return to your land and re-establish your faith and culture. And so they didn't, it wasn't extinguished like many of the other ancient religions and cultures. One of the last prophets. So over a period of time, the prophets died out, a bit like the Jedi. And uh, over a period of time, there were were not many of the the prophets left. And one of the last prophets was a man named Malachi. And he said something very interesting. He said, I will send my messenger 
who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you declare, who you desire, will come, says the Lord Almighty. Thus says the Lord. And then after Malachi, after he'd made this prediction about this one prophet, this great prophet who was going to come, a messenger who was going to come before the Lord and before the coming of the king to his temple, there was silence for 400 years. No prophets. God said no prophets to the people of Israel in that period. And they waited and they hung on to the words of, of Malachi and some of the other prophets waiting for them to be fulfilled. And then John the Baptist came and we read about him in Luke chapter 3. So I'm going to sort of talk our guide, we'll walk our way through this, this passage. So if you've got a Bible, that'd be really helpful to, to open it up at Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iturea and Trachytus, and Lysanias, the Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. There's a, there's a group of people who say that the stories in the Bible don't need to be historically grounded. They say, you know, they're, they're myths, and not myths in a way that that means they're false and not worth reading, but they're myths. They're like Aesop's fables. They're nice stories, and they teach us theological truth. But it doesn't really matter if they actually happened or not. The power is in the story itself. Well, that's the opposite of what Luke is saying here. Luke is seeking in here to ground John the Baptist firmly in history. And we know from other archaeological work that, that these names, these people did exist, and that they, the, the, Luke has gone out of his way to say this is when God spoke again through his last prophet, John the Baptist. But Luke's got a second purpose here as well. He's not just saying this guy was an historical figure. He's making a, a point of contrast. Tiberius, Pontius Pilate, Herod. These were people who were known for their depravity, for their brutality, for their political infighting, for their decadence, for their, their just ungodliness. And then he goes on to name two high priests during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. And this was a, a source of shame for the people of Israel as well. There had been so much infighting and conflict and political earring and, and power plays between the high priests that they now didn't have one high priest, they had two high priests because they, they, they were, there was this tussle for power going on in the religious heart of Israel. And Luke is making the point, in contrast to these men came John the Baptist, a poor man, a nobody, the son of Zechariah, who was in the wilderness, not in Rome or in Caesarea or in the temple, but out by the River Jordan, camping, moving around from place to place. And he was the one who was speaking the words of God. He was the last prophet, not 
Caesar or Tiberius or Caiaphas or Annas. And this was John's message as reported by Luke. Summarise, this is what the, the last prophet said. He went into all the country around Jordan preaching the, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So Jordan, wilderness, he's travelling around, but people are coming out of the cities. They're travelling out into the, the middle of nowhere to hear this, this homeless man speaking the word of God. And his message is, his preaching is a baptism. And uh, baptism was a, a common Jewish practice. It was used for a person who was not a Jew when they entered into the Jewish community. So if you were a Gentile and you, you wanted to become a Jew, well, one of the things you would do is to be put into a, a tank of water or a river and immersed into the river, and that was a sign of your cleansing, that you were, you were unclean, you were a sinner, you were untouchable by God. But as you enter into the Jewish faith, you go through this process of, of baptism. But the twist in the tale of what John the Baptist was teaching was that it was the Jews who needed to get baptised, that they were the ones who were unclean. They were the ones who needed to have a restored relationship with God. So you can imagine how it caught people's attention. And it was a baptism related to repentance. So repentance, the word literally means to turn around. The, the idea that you are going one way in your life and the voice of God, the word of God says, repent, turn around and go the other way, head back towards God. And, and sometimes we think, if you've heard that word repent before, you might just mean, think it means to say sorry. You know, I repent, oh, I'm sorry. It's so much more than that. It is a change in direction. It is a commitment to stop going one way in your life and to turn around and go in a totally different direction. So John Samson said, as a sign of your repentance, be baptised. And why do you need to be baptised? Why do you need to repent? For the forgiveness of sins. People were flooding all, from all over the place to come to hear John preach and receive his baptism because they wanted forgiveness of sins. The, the word translated forgiveness there carries also with it the sense of healing. It's in parts in the Bible it is used to describe the healing of people. And so John is offering a freedom, a release from the guilt of sin. That's why people flooded to him. And as many people in our communities today who continue to struggle under the guilt of sin, the shame of the things that we have done, the guilt we feel over the things that we've done and the things we haven't done and should have done. And it is a, it is a burden on people's lives. It's like a, a chain upon, around them. And John comes preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the people flood to receive that release that John is offering. And he does, as he does so, he fulfills another prophecy written uh, you know, 800 years before this event. One of the prophets of the way in Isaiah had said, in verse, and it's accounted here in verse 4, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, 
That's John. He's out in the, out in the Jordan wilderness there. And he says, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain will hill made low. The crooked roads will become straight and the rough way smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. In those days when a, a king was going to come to a, to a city, the, the, the officials of that city would send people out onto the road that the king would come down. And uh, they, in their days, you probably see them sweep the streets. In those days, they, they sought to, um, if there was a big hill and they had enough ma uh, manpower, they would seek to, to put a cutting in the hill. And if there was a, a deep valley that the king would have to go through, they'd move the dirt down there and fill in the valleys. And if there was lots of twisty sections in the road, if they had the time and the resources, they'd try and straighten them out for the king who was coming. And this was the role of John the Baptist, and in particular, clearing the obstacles for the king to come to Jerusalem and for the purpose, according to verse 6, so that all people, including Australians, will see God's salvation. John was preparing the way for this great king who would not just come to Israel, but would come to every nation. And not just be the king of, of Jerusalem, but be the king of every country, every nation in the world. But John's response to the crowds who are coming to them is quite interesting. So all these people coming, they want to find forgiveness, they want to have repentance, they're listening to his words. What does he say to them? Verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to him to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? So it wasn't, I mean, usually when I get up to speak, I try and welcome people, smile, connect with you. Great to have you, I look great this morning, so glad you came to church. You brood of vipers, who warned you to escape the coming fire? He's likening them to sort of snakes coming out of a burning field. Some of you might remember the Sex Pistols, a punk rock band from the 1970s. And uh, they had a very interesting approach to their audiences. They used to abuse them when they came along. They used to you know, curse them and swear at them and throw things at them and actually urinate them on some points. And the crowds kept coming, going, give us more, come on. We're enjoying this, Sid Vicious and the other guys. You know. It was a bit like that, where, where John and his people, he's, he's coming to him and expecting a welcome and he's warning them severely. And he's saying, this is serious. Don't just come out here lightly. I've got a very, very serious message for you. So think deeply before you accept this baptism. And uh, in verse 8, he, um, he gives them three warnings. First warning he gives them is in verse 8 there. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. He's warning them, this is, don't just get baptised and then go back to your old way of life. You must produce fruit that comes out of your decision, out of your turning around of life. And, and this is a fundamental problem for all religions throughout all of history. The gap between form and reality. The idea that somehow you can say, I'm a Christian and that's all you need to do, or I'm a Muslim and that's all I need to do, or I'm a Buddhist and that that somehow satisfies what, everything that God is expecting, or that you go to church or you go to the mosque, or that you observe a religious observance several times a year. 
John's warning, that's not enough. You must show fruit. There must be something visible that's happening in your life because of your religious commitment. The second warning continues in verse 8, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. And this is another problem that religion has faced whatever form it has been, wherever it has been in the world through history. People who think that because their parents were religious, that they've somehow inherited the faith. That because my, my mum had faith, I've got faith. Because I'm Australian, I'm a Christian. Because I'm, I'm an American, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Because I'm a Turkish, I'm Islamic. This idea that somehow it gets passed down and that the individual decision doesn't have to be made in order to be a follower of Jesus. And then John warns, the axe is already at the root of the tree and every tree that does not produce fruit, fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And so John's third warning is there's an urgency here. You see, repentance, true repentance, is not just something you go, yeah, okay. True repentance is a radical life transformation. You're going one way and you decide to turn around another way. It's a huge decision. And because it's a big decision, our tendency is to put it off. So oh, I just want to think about that for, for a little bit longer. Maybe I'll just think about that for a couple of weeks. Maybe, I'll just, maybe I need to think about that for a few, few months. Or, or, or maybe I need to think about that for a few, a few years. Or maybe, or maybe you know, it's 10 years now since I, I heard the gospel, but I'm still not ready to make that. It's, it's 20 years, it's 30 years, it's 40 years. And John warns, make a decision. It's a good day to preach on this because Shane warns death highlights how unexpected the end can come. And John, John would warn to that and say, make the decision now. Don't put it off. It's a big decision, but you know the information. You've got the facts. Turn around now because you don't know when the tree is going to get chopped down. Turn around now. And the people responded. As people have responded to the message of the gospel down through the centuries, chapter 3, verse 10, what should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptised. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him. So these probably weren't Roman soldiers. They were probably Jewish soldiers, Herod's, Herod's soldiers. Some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Maybe when they came to, to John and said, yeah, what should we do then? They were expecting him to say, well, you've got to quit that job. You've got to stop being a tax collector. You've got to stop being a soldier. Uh, you, you've, got to, you've got to go on a pilgrimage somewhere. But his answer is, is very much economic and it's very pragmatic and it's very life day-to-day. -day. It is frontline stuff. 
that John is saying. He says, if you see someone in need, the fruit of your repentance is that you will give to them. And the tax collectors, if you, the fruit of your repentance is that you, not that you stop being a tax collector, the fruit of your repentance is that you be a good tax collector, that you be a righteous tax collector who does only, who takes only what they expect. And soldiers, don't quit being a soldier, be a good soldier. Don't abuse your power. Use your power for good. This is what the fruit of repentance looks like. And, and just as Christians, the fruit of our repentance is visible on our front line. That's where it comes out. It's not what we do in church as much as what we do in our workplaces, what we do in our school communities, what we do in our homes, how we speak to people, what respect we pay to people. That's the fruit of repentance that John is calling us to. And John's words echo down through the centuries as the last great Hebrew prophet. His message is the same to us today. The king has come. He was preparing for the coming of Jesus. But they still have the opportunity to enter into that kingdom. And John's message still echoes us today. Repent and show the fruit of repentance in your life in preparation for the coming of of the king. Now, for some of us, that repentance is a major turning point in our life. And, and there's, a, there's, there's, prayers, there's a prayer to be said, and there's a, a public acknowledgement to be made, and there is a baptism to be had as a consequence of that turning point. And if that's you today, I encourage you to make that decision today. And after church, there'll be some people up here uh, in the room to pray with you and if, if, if you heard the Christian gospel you've heard the the declaration of John the Baptist you've heard what Jesus is calling us to be as to repent and to surrender our lives to him can I encourage you today to make that decision because the axe is at the root of the tree so come up here and, and get some prayer and this community will gather around you and support you in that decision that you have made to turn around your life but for many of us, the challenge is that we are supposed to have turned around, but some of our behaviours are still going the wrong way. And that we don't need to quit our front line or leave our front line, we've just got to be better on our front line. We've got to show more the fruit of repentance and the joy of the freedom from the guilt of sin in our lives, wherever that front line is for us. The last prophet is dead, but he still speaks. Thus saith the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have come. The King has come. And that on the cross, our Lord Jesus conquered death and sin and evil. And that the kingdom of God is now at work in our world, transforming as it moves, changing lives, restoring things. And we, Lord, we thank you that we still have the opportunity to join that kingdom. That through the, the message of, of a repentance or a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, that we can join the kingdom and we can move from the kingdom of death and be part of your great movement in the world. For some here this morning or some watching online, 
This is a, a moment of turning point in their lives. They, they've heard the gospel. They know what they need to do, and they've just been waiting for that moment to do it. And I pray, Lord, you will help them to do that right now, that they will repent, they'll acknowledge that they've been going in the wrong way, and they'll decide to return to you and move out of rebelliousness and move in the right way. And Lord, if that's the case, give them the boldness to tell somebody they've made that decision this morning. And uh, whether that be in the prayer room or if you're online, to, to send an email to the church or to contact somebody you know in the church, just saying, I've, I've made that decision of repentance and, and I want to get baptised as a sign of that repentance. But for many of us, this is a matter of, of not bringing forth the fruit of the repentance that is in our lives. And, and there might be some here who are exploiting their work situations for improper gain like the tax collectors, or they might be the bullying people in their workplace, like the soldiers. And, and perhaps this morning, the, the, the prophetic voice of John has, has spoken to somebody this morning and say, you need to be better. You, you, you need to stop ripping people off. You, you need to, to, to treat people better. And for others, that's in the home or in, or in uh, other situations, Lord. We pray that we will show the fruit of the repentance that we have claimed. And we do this in light of your grace, the undeserved love that you have shown towards us, which moves us to show love and goodness to others as well. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.